Well, welcome back, Orchard Community Church. Here we are in week two of not being able to meet together as a church. Right now, at the time that I'm recording this, we are facing the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic of 2020. We are basically told to stay in our homes. Just yesterday, the governor of the state of New York said that all non-essential workers had to stay home. And basically, we're not to leave our homes unless uh, for some essential travel that has to take place. I had actually set up to record these videos in my office and had everything ready and was ready to go when that order came through. So I had to pack up stuff from my office. As you can see, I'm in my bedroom. I've set up a little office and hopefully what's going to work as a recording studio. I really want throughout the rest of this time that we can't gather. I'd like to be able to shoot videos. Uh, we're going to try it out this time and see how it goes. You know, I know a lot of people right now are struggling with questions, big questions, questions like how long. How long is this going to go on? How long before we can go back to work or gather together as a church or not have to be so worried about touching other people or even being closer than six feet? So how long? That's a common question I think that's on our minds. What's going to happen? How's this all going to turn out? And I think along with that is, is God still in control? We're going to look at those three questions. How long? What's going to happen? And is God still in control? And I believe, once again, God has sovereignly ordained the passage for us to look at this week. We are in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. I want to read this for you. And again, this passage was chosen for this sermon series several months ago. But just listen to verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter chapter 5. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered for a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And so we need to start with this question of how long? How long? And Peter's answer to that question when you're suffering of how long, Peter's answer is a little while. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. Now, is he telling this early church in the first century that was under Roman persecution and they were feeling the weight of, of that persecution and they were suffering? Is he telling them in a little bit it's going to get better? That, that the suffering will just go away really soon? No, actually. He's not telling them to open up their calendars, flip forward a little while, a couple days, weeks, months, and, and put an end date. And that's when your suffering will stop. That's not what Peter is saying to these people. In fact, we know from history that the persecution of the Christians in first century Rome got worse before it got better. In fact, it took a drastic turn for the worst shortly after Peter wrote this letter to them. We also know that Christians throughout history have suffered. I don't know that there's ever been a time in history when Christians have not been persecuted, have not suffered. We've seen some of it in our country, but our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world throughout the history of the church have experienced persecution and suffering. Peter is not just saying that they need to endure it for just a few more days or, or even a few more weeks or months or years. He, he's not saying that you can look forward to this end date soon when all of this 
will be over, he's actually saying something much, much greater. You see, for Peter, our earthly lives, this time between when we are born and when we will die, or when Jesus returns, but this earthly life is what Peter calls a little while. Let's look at how Peter uses this. Turn to chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. This is at the very beginning of Peter's lesson, or letter rather, and he's introducing what he's going to be talking about, and he mentions their suffering. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, there's that phrase again, a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And then in verse 7, he tells when that little while ends. He says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor. And here it is. Here's the end time to the little while when Jesus Christ is revealed. For Peter, that's the end of a little while when Jesus Christ is revealed. And what does that mean? Well, it's when you see Jesus. He's not talking about when you believe in Jesus or growing to know him more. He, he literally means when you come face to face with Jesus, that's when your suffering ends. And that's either when Jesus comes back or when we die and we go to be with him if we've been saved by Jesus Christ. That's the end point of a little while. Peter emphasized this idea again in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 1. He says, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. He says, We're like that grass that just withers after a time, or the flower that falls after a time. He says, Our lives are short when compared with eternity. No matter the suffering or the struggle that we are going through in our lives, it is always still short, a little while, when compared with all eternity. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, when he says, in a little while, that after we have suffered for a little while, he's talking about our lifetime. And that after that, we will see Jesus face to face. Paul has the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says, look at eternity. Look at what we have through Jesus Christ in eternity. And when you compare that with these sufferings we go through for a little while, Paul says, there is no comparison. Our benefits... The hope we have in eternal glory far outweighs the suffering we face for a little while. And so Paul then brings a conclusion on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I read verse 17. Here's verse 18. He says, so what do we do about this? He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. So we need to live with eternity in sight. The promise of God is not that every difficulty in front of us will just go away or get better soon. What he's saying is that we need to have a completely different perspective on our suffering. We need to live with eternity in sight. When we are saved by Jesus Christ, we know we have eternity in front of us forever and ever. 
And we know that the answer to the question, how long, how long must we suffer, is always, in the light of eternity, a little while. So we have the answer to how long, but now we must ask, what will happen? What does the future hold? How's this going to work out? And here Peter gives a really good perspective again. He says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So the first perspective that Peter has us look at is that before we can know what the future holds, we must first know who holds that future. And Peter's answer is the God of all grace. These people that Peter's writing to in the first century, they lived in a world of shame and grace or favor. We've talked about this before. You needed favor or grace. It's really the same word. You needed favor or grace from someone who was more powerful than you, wealthier than you, of a a certain political status, and that would help you to get by, to be successful in your business venture, to climb the social ladder. Or they would take it into the spiritual realm. You would seek the favor or the grace of the local god or goddess or the god or goddess who was over whatever particular thing you needed favor or grace in. And if you did the right thing in the right way at the right time, just maybe that god or goddess would show you favor or grace. The problem was the Christians were suffering in this environment. They didn't believe in the gods and goddesses. And so everybody looked down on them as, well, you're just in trouble because you don't have their favor. They were being pushed out by their family. They were being pushed out of politics, out of financial situations, out of the marketplaces because they were believing in Jesus Christ and because they believed in him as the son of the one true God. So where could they go? They were struggling. How do we get favor? How do we get grace to get by? And Peter points us and them to the truth that God is the source of all grace. Not not just a little more grace, all grace. He never runs out of his supply of grace. He is the ever-abundant, ever-flowing source of all grace. The one who holds our future is the God of all grace. He wants to loves to show us favor, to show us grace, to give us grace forever and ever throughout eternity with him. Now, why else should we trust him? Well, because that God who wants to show that favor, that grace to us, has called us. He says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. In chapter 1, verse 1, Peter introduces his readers as God's elect, those who have been chosen or called. He goes on to talk about how they, just like everyone saved by Jesus Christ, are saved through Christ with a secure inheritance. That's what we're called to. In chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says that we are told that those who are saved by Jesus are the chosen people of God, called into a new relationship with him. Think about this. The God who made the universe, looked into our suffering and sent his son to save us. And then he called us to come, to be saved, to be his people, to be his children. We can trust God because he has called us. But how? How did he call us? 
Well, Peter says, he called us in Christ. Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Think about what this call required. What it took God to make the call to us. We were sinners. Rebels. Enemies of God. Scripture is abundantly clear on that fact. Yet in Christ, because of his death and his resurrection, we are saved. We are forgiven. We are set free. We are adopted as God's children. And all of this is because we are in Christ. So why should we trust God? Because the way he called us was by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And what is it he's called us to? Well, Peter says, who called you to his eternal glory. Our our sufferings are for a little while, but we are called to an eternal glory. God has not just promised us better circumstances in our life. He hasn't promised us our, our best life or even a better life necessarily now. What he has said is, you will go through trials and suffering. But he has promised us eternity with him, living in his perfect life-giving glory. Can you imagine never wondering where God is? Never wondering if he cares about you, never wondering if he thinks about you, never wondering if he's working on your behalf, but every moment of every day looking around you and saying, I see his glory. That's what Peter is talking about. He has called us to his eternal glory. What will God do? What will we get in that eternal glory? Well, he says, After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Think about what these early Christians were probably praying for. They were struggling. They're wondering how much longer they can go on. Will their faith be strong enough? Will they endure? How much longer will they be able to carry the burden of the persecution they're going through? They were losing family, friends, money, possessions. Some were even losing their lives. I'm sure they were praying for strength to keep going. And Peter tells them that these things they are earnestly hoping for, the strength to keep going, the power to sustain them, those things would be theirs forever and ever perfectly in God's glory. Now, Certainly, God gives us these things now. We can look at many other scriptures about how God sustains us as we are suffering, and Peter talks a lot about that too. But I believe what Peter is talking about here is the perfection of these things in the resurrection, our new bodies, our new selves living forever in God's glory. In a little while, the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore us, will make us strong, firm, and steadfast. After a little while, we will stand in God's glory forever through Jesus Christ, and we will never be separated from him. Never falter, never fail, never struggle, never doubt. And he is telling us, hold on, it's just a little while longer. But there's one last question to be answered. Is God 
strong enough. And here I want us to look at verse 11 of 1 Peter 5. This is a doxology really at the end of the main part of of the letter here before he gets into his final greetings. But listen to how he ends in verse 11. To him, to God, be the power forever and ever. Amen. To him be the power. You might think that he would say glory, and that certainly fits, and other passages use that. But Peter says power, which means dominion or authority or his power to rule over all things. And again, think about what these Christians were facing. They had the power of the Roman Empire coming down on them and turning against them. Today, we face this power of the coronavirus outbreak and the fear that this outbreak causes that's spreading around the world. And even once this virus situation is over, and I believe it will be, but even then, our culture, the modern culture of this world is turning against the gospel. It's turning against biblical truths. It's turning against the idea of a God, and especially a God who sent his son to die on the cross to save us from our sins. We still face a power struggle. And we still will will have the question, is God stronger? And here Peter answers, not only is God more powerful than whatever our present situation is, but he is more powerful than any situation, any power throughout all of eternity, forever and ever. To him be the power. The power greater than what you're going through. The power greater than what's persecuting you and causing your struggle. Whatever that is, whenever that is, his power is greater. And not just for that moment, not just for the little while, but forever and ever. Peter declares that all of the powers throughout all of eternity, when compared to God, we know God is greater. We will never, at any time in our lives, at any time in history, no matter what is going on, we will never face anything more powerful than God. To him be the power forever and ever. And then Peter ends with that one little word that you probably use every time you pray. Amen. That word in Greek simply means true. Truth. It is a statement at the end of a prayer or a statement about God that means it is true. What I have just said, I believe to be true. Peter is declaring that it is true that God is more powerful. It is true that through Christ we have been called to live in God's glory forever and ever. And it is true that our present sufferings are only for a little while because we will experience glory forever and ever. Amen. True. So in the middle of sufferings and trials, let us live with eternity in view. Right now, as you gather with your families, or you spend time on your own worshiping God, hopefully opening up the Bible and spending some time in the Word of God, take some time to think about and thank God for what is yours throughout all of eternity because of what Christ has done for you. And I want to end with one more passage 
I read this one a lot to us as a church because I think it gives such perspective. It's Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. This is what's going to happen in a little while. John writes, as he saw the end of all of history and the beginning of the eternity and God's glory, he writes this, Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And I think we could add or viruses. <laughs> For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these downs, write the, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. That's what we have in eternity. That's what the God of all grace has called us to. What God has achieved for us through his son, Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection. This is our certain future. And it will happen after a little while. Friends, today, as we go through this struggle, and maybe you're watching this some other time, or maybe even today as you're going through this, this coronavirus epidemic, you're, you're still struggling with all these other things in your life as well. Remember the certain future that is yours because the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ. And he has the power forever and ever to make it happen. Let us live with that eternity in view. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, it's easy to let this understanding slip from our minds when we go through great difficulty. But God, we know that according to your power over all eternity, any suffering we go through in this life is always going to be limited to a little while. Because our lives, in light of all eternity, are just a little while. And the eternity we have to spend forever in your glory, in your power, in your dominion, experiencing your love and your grace and your mercy and your sustaining power forever and ever will go on for eternity. And so, Father, may we not get so caught up in the little while that we take our eyes off of the glory of eternity in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. May God bless you as you spend time together. May you worship and spend time in prayer and Bible study. We're trying to put more and more things on the website to help you with these things. So keep watching orchardcommunitychurch.com. If you don't know, I set up a Facebook 
a group called Orchard Community Church. I think you should be able to look for it and uh, we'll approve you to be able to interact there. Call each other, send each other's notes, reach out to someone. People are feeling very lonely right now. And I pray that we can continue to come together as a church in ways we never would have thought of, but that are so necessary and helpful right now to love God and love others and to continue pointing one another and ourselves to Jesus Christ. May God bless you.